Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? I'm ready to reopen SBC This Week. Well, you know, since we've always done it from home remotely, there's not really anything different right now than for the last, what, five years? Phase three, Amy, we're there already. Yes, yeah, we're back to work. Just yes. like every week. Yes. Yeah. But hey, that's good news though. Well, you know, in certain parts of the country, going to start moving out of the shelter in place, the the stay at home orders. Yes. So, praying that that goes well and that communities don't see the spikes. You know that they're they're saying that yeah. they're trying to mitigate. So I'm encouraged by this. Me too. I got to be honest with you. I, well, that's good. I, I hate for you to lie to. Me. <laughs> I've had a lot of anxiety over this the last few days because of that being torn between, you know, you're ready for things to get moving, to move back to normal, but also a fear. You know, I have one, I have one family member who, uh, one, one of our kids has some risk factors. And even though it doesn't seem to be affecting younger people, it, it does happen on occasion. And so I've been very uneasy. Yeah. So sort of this mix between wanting things to get back, but also wanting to make sure that there were mitigation strategies in place. And I, what I saw really helped some of that anxiety Absolutely. when they when they un- unrolled it. Absolutely. So we'll just have to, to see how that goes and, and the phased rollout of that. So uh, be keeping an eye on different parts of the country, obviously, as, as this goes. So Right. Uh, and how know, it affects our churches yeah, and our, our entities. Yeah. The good news is I think a lot of our churches that are in the more rural areas, smaller churches as well, that may mean that they can get back to a quote-unquote normal uh, sooner rather than later. So that that's a good thing. I'm excited sure. about that. Sure. And uh, and and it just it gives us something to work toward mm-hmm. even if even if we can't all depending on the size of church even if it's going to be still a while before we're meeting like we always have it there it, it seems like we're going to have something in between from just being stuck in our homes not being able to see anyone. So that's good. Well, hey, let's jump into the news this week, Amy. Some great news coming out of Kentucky from some of our favorite people. We've talked about them a lot on the podcast, and it was awesome to see this story coming out of Frankfort, Kentucky at Buck Run Baptist Church, pastored by Dr. Herschel York, who's at Southern as well, uh, one of the deans over there, dean of the School of Theology, and his wife, Tanya. There's a great picture of them talking to church members who have come by to drive by their Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Oh man, this was the neatest thing. And there was a video that played. Yes. And I just watched it. I'll put I just the video loved at it. the bottom of the uh of the, the show notes today for yes, those of you. Please do. I, I just loved it. So first of all, yeah, Herschel and Tanya York, friends of the pod, but they are two of my favorite people. Amy, and we gotta I, get them on. We gotta get them on. We do. They I'm would gonna, be I'm gonna make that happen. Fantastic. They would be fantastic guests. And I have to tell you. I can't. I, I may have talked about this on the podcast before, but it bears repeating. Uh, Tanya York was the first person that I encountered after becoming a seminary wife and sort of a future ministry wife. That when I encountered her, I thought I can do this. 
because she was so real. She was so humble. She just was herself. And she really poured into ministry wives and seminary wives. And I just, she is so near and dear to my heart. So to see her in this uh, moment and to see Dr. York just receiving all of these church members. So it was really neat. They basically had a drive-through giving process for Annie Armstrong and churches could, they could give online, but they also had an event that was called Drive-By Annie and they could drive to church and they had a box that they could drop their uh, check or cash, whatever. They could drop their Annie Armstrong Easter offering into the box and then they could sort of drive under um, the shelter there that, that you would drive through. And the Yorks were standing there where they could keep a distance from the vehicles, but they could wave to people and talk to them. And it was kind of the first opportunity in weeks to get to interact. And so it was just really, really special. It was their way to get to physically see people on Easter, let them drive to church on Easter Sunday, that to be sort of a rhythm, and to give to Annie Armstrong, uh, which goes to the North American Mission Board to help support ministries on the field all over North America. And this led to the largest amount the church has ever collected. Yeah, absolutely amazing number. Last year, they gave $6,600 to Annie Armstrong Easter offering. This year, $28,000. That's incredible. I mean, that's just, it's really incredible. And so... What a great, great story. I just loved it. And like I said, I'm glad you're going to put that video there because that really gets to yeah. to show it. It says some of the cars decorated like they were in a parade. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I wonder if they threw candy. Because yeah. that's the best part I, of the parade, honestly. I I don't think so. And oh. I think they had some, you know, obviously the, they could drop into the offering box. They didn't hand things to people. Yeah. But it was so cute. It did say some of them wrote cards to the pastors. Some people dressed up. Some people were in their pajamas. I just, I, I love it. The whole thing is really great. Yeah. What if they had been throwing Wonder Bars, Amy? Oh, now I would have shown up for that. See, there you go. My, yeah. Right. So yeah. this is, but the great thing about this, this shows that, you know, I, I know Annie Armstrong Easter offering this time of year with the COVID-19 stuff, there's a lot of questions up in the air about this. But the drive-by Annie offering, anybody can do that. Any church can do this. And yes. I, I bet a lot of church members would be all about this. This doesn't take a whole lot of planning, folks. All you need is a table and a bucket. Maybe not even the right. table. You just need a bucket. So, I mean, that that's something because, you can do. Any yeah, church can do this. Right. And don't assume the windows yeah, closed yeah, just because, because we Easter, Easter already happened. No. They will take your Annie Armstrong Easter offering. <laughs> they will not turn. They will I not heard the turn second it away. All the way from Alpharetta. Whenever you said that, yeah, they will no, not turn it amens. away and say, "Oops, it's after Easter. You can do this now. You can do this. Yeah. this Sunday. You could do it next Sunday. It's a way to. Uh, it's a way to support Southern Baptist missionaries yeah. here and throughout North America. Yes, absolutely. So remember, one hundred percent of the gifts directly support. Southern Baptist missionaries in the United States and Canada. So very, very cool uh, story there from our friends up in Kentucky. So I'm going to work on getting the Yorks on. So I've already sent the email, Amy. Hopefully we'll be able to get them on next week's show to talk about this. Yes. So New Orleans, Amy, we have a trustee meeting from New Orleans. They met this past week and they uh, the board deferred the meeting to the executive committee. So they basically said, hey, we're going to let the executive committee meet of the board and instead of trying to get the whole full board together because of COVID-19, they can't get everybody together. So they were able to do it via video. 
and had some moves out of there. Tell us what happened at the trustee meeting down in New Orleans, Amy. One big thing is, even in the midst of everything that's going on, they kept on trucking. They approved three new degrees for Level College. So that's a Bachelor of Arts in Pastoral Ministry, a Bachelor of Arts in Worldview and Apologetics, and a Bachelor of Science in Worship Ministry. So these were uh, new majors that were set up kind of in the steps that they're taking to expand and enhance Level College. Uh, Also had some minors, some other things. They also um, approved a new Master of Arts in Ministry Leadership degree on the graduate side. They elected four professors, Alan Bandy, Emily Dean, Mark Johnson, and Mike Wetzel. And they already were in process for this faculty election and funding was in place for all of these professorships. And so uh, they were able to move ahead with that as well. Additionally, they voted to close some extension centers, seven different locations uh, around Louisiana, Florida, and Georgia. And these were centers that have had some declining enrollment for several years. And so there will be teach-out plans for the students that are affected by that. Yeah, those won't close until December of 2020. There's seven of them that are closing. Lafayette, Baton Rouge, both in Louisiana, Tampa, Warner Robins, Georgia, Pensacola, Florida, and Jacksonville, Florida. So that makes a total of nine that have been closed uh, over the past couple of years. Uh, They were at the 24 was the high point. Now they're down to 15. So I think they're one of the few seminaries still with the extension model. And uh, I think right. we're seeing that here. So, And yeah, with online education, that that has just changed. Yeah. That's part of that shift. The model has shifted. So some other faculty-related news. Dan Holcomb was elected as Professor Emeritus of Church History. He has been there, get this, Amy, since 1979. Boy. One of the two of us was not born whenever he started there. Well, I think we just, let's, let's move on. Let's keep talking. Keep moving on down to that one. All right. Yep. They also elected an interim trustee. Phil Hanbury will join the uh, trustee board as an interim trustee until that uh, is filled by the Committee on Nominations. Wayland Bailey was also elected as the interim vice chair until the October meeting. So their vice chair had resigned and moved and retired. So uh, they had right. uh, they had an opening there. That's the, the spot that actually Phil Hanbury is jumping into. But Wayland Bailey moves into that interim vice chair spot that was left open with that retirement. So they also deferred the budget approval, Amy, to the June the 2nd executive committee meeting. So they moved that back. It's similar to what we saw from Southwestern just a couple of weeks ago, whenever they moved their budget process back because of just not really knowing the the fallout and the outcome of COVID-19. So uh, just like we saw with them pushing that budget back, the original budget I think they had planned to bring was somewhere around $24 million. We'll see where it winds up after uh, the impact that they see of COVID-19. One other great story out of New Orleans this week was their bridge campaign. So there's a campaign that they did to help with scholarships for the summer. They had a matching gift of $150,000 and they have met that. So matching 150 plus the 150 that was given. So that's a $300,000 total. And the total as of like this week, it was around $312,000 to the bridge campaign to help summer scholarships for New Orleans and level college students. And it's pretty incredible because they, they did this in a very short amount of time and it really, it allows the students to have a 50% tuition scholarship for each course. And this is just one of those 
moments where people can support students in a way that everything that is happening, the global pandemic, the economic fallout, they don't have to stop their education because of the generosity of donors like Absolutely. this. So really, really cool. Yeah, and we've got a great story on everything that's going on at our Southern Baptist Seminaries because you know what the Sunday is, Amy? SBC Seminary Sunday. That's right. It's Seminary Sunday in the SBC on Sunday, April the 19th. So we've got a story at Baptist Press here on Friday when we drop this. You can go check out about what's going on at the seminaries and how they're really helping out students during this time. Uh, a lot of uncertainty for a lot of students. And our seminaries right. are doing a great job stepping up and providing their not only education, but in some instances, their livelihood uh, to make it through what's going on with COVID-19. Yes. And one of the reasons that they can do that because we're in a time where you're seeing lots of universities and graduate schools that are struggling, that are just trying to keep the lights on. But our seminaries can actually focus on their students because of the generosity of Southern Baptist through the cooperative program, uh, which really helps them in many ways to keep the lights on and some of those basic things, and they can focus a lot of energy on their students. Absolutely. So uh, again, cooperative program makes a lot of things happen and Southern Baptist seminaries are definitely uh, one of the big pieces of that. So, all right, some other news from another seminary, Amy, up at Midwestern, the Spurgeon library, which you still have not been to. How is this possible? By the way, I haven't been to Kansas city since I was 12. Well, that'll do it right there. But the Spurgeon yep. Library, it's got a new curator, and it's Jeff Chang. Jeff Chang is an associate pastor of Henson Baptist Church in Portland, Oregon right now. But he will graduate in May with a PhD in historical theology from Midwestern, and he will come and, and serve there. He'll be assistant professor of historical theology. He will also oversee day-to-day -day operations for the library, as well as major writing projects involved with the Spurgeon Collection so that basically means that Jeff Chang gets to just hang out with Spurgeon's stuff all day, every day. That's kind of creepy, Amy. It's really cool is what it is. Okay. All right. Cool. Never mind. So this is like Southeastern has a fair amount of Francis Schaeffer's library. Oh, that's right. That's right. But there are a lot of limitations on it. It's very specific for particular research. You, you can't just walk in and see it. It's just a little bit of a different situation. And But when we did some coverage of it at Southeastern, we did a, a magazine feature on it. We had a day where we could go up and see some of the things. And I got to look at uh, his Bible and all the notes he had made in it. And I got to find kind of some of my favorite passages and see what he had written. And it's a, I mean, it's just a really special thing to get to see some of that and sort of understand the thinking and the work of, of these great leaders and, and, uh, you know, leaders in the faith. So it, it's pretty cool that he'll get to, to be managing that collection. Well, yeah, it's really neat. So yeah. And the Spurgeon library, if you're ever in Kansas city, highly recommended, highly recommend, uh, because it's fantastic. So I, I cannot believe you haven't been there. I mean, we got to get you to Midwestern somehow. I would love to go to Midwestern. All right. It would well, be awesome. I would love to go visit there and get some, what, Kansas City barbecue? Absolutely. Best barbecue yes. in America. Yes. You heard it here. 
I, I will boldly go there. There you go. I know a lot of people disagree with me, but I, I love Kansas City barbecue. It's my favorite. So, And if I could go in the summer and catch a Royals game, that would make it even better. Because I did go to a lot of Royals games as a kid, but it's just okay. been since then. Yeah. Well, probably not going to be anybody in the seats right now. But probably not. Maybe, hopefully, baseball will get back because of uh, we're kind of moving in the right direction. So that's good. Oh, I hope so. Okay. All right. Some other things this week. I know uh, you guys had a little bit of a scare over in North Carolina. I We did here as well. And, and some in uh, Tennessee and the Carolinas, Mississippi, Alabama had really, really tough time with tornadoes. We had our share of it about a month ago here in the Nashville area. And uh, right. our disaster relief teams are hard at work once again, helping out with the tornadoes here in the South. Uh, just some scary moments this past week. And a strange story, Amy. This may be our first tainted candy story at Baptist Press. I'd have to do some digging. But yeah. from Utah, Dateline, Roy, Utah, Amy. Two youngsters, 5 and 11, were hospitalized after eating candy their grandmother had picked up that morning from a food pantry ministry of the local First Baptist Church of Roy, Utah, which is about 32 miles north of Salt Lake City. The package of candy... What she thought was a nerd's rope, Amy, was a medicated nerd's rope with 400 milligrams of THC. Yes, that's correct. This is not good. And these kids, thankfully, were okay. Yes, they were okay. It was not good at all. So 400 milligrams of THC. And uh, so this is the kind of THC that uh, the, the lead deacon in the story explained. It's the... It's what someone might use to manage rheumatoid arthritis pain. Yeah. So an adult might take five to 10 milligrams for pain. 400 milligrams were in this, these uh, nerd ropes. Yeah. And so this, this is the kind of thing that would make kids incredibly sick. So it says out of 63 people served within the food pantry's first hour, three other children were known to become ill, but not sick enough to be hospitalized. So the, the kids are okay, but let's, let's talk just a little bit about the way this happened. It wasn't the fault of the church. It wasn't necessarily the fault of the food bank. It was just kind of one of these things that happened. Just so the, you through the, the, you know. Right. Yeah. So there's Ooh. a, uh, there's a network, a nationwide network of food, 200 food banks called Feeding America, and they send shrink-wrapped pallets of food to the Utah Food Bank. Then the seven of the pallets got sent to the distribution center at First Baptist Roy. So it was a partner agency of the food bank. So this came through some distribution channels. They unpacked the pallets. And they checked every item or box for an expiration date, but they're working really fast. They only have a couple of hours to unload everything, look at dates, throw it on the um, on the table, and they Just were working. The right? Yeah. They were. Th- this was in the pandemic, so they're trying to limit person to person contact. All of these things. And so it looked like, it just looked like Easter candy and the use by date hadn't passed. So they just didn't see that sort of fine print on there. It's not fine print. Okay, fair enough. They didn't see it on there. It was moving really fast. There's a lot going on. It says about an hour into it, somebody called and expressed a concern. So then they read the label. Yeah. And that's when they started calling people. They called everybody that had been there. And then they finally got through. So yeah. they acted They quickly, did a great job but, of, of mitigating yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a, a really good 
thing for everyone to think through when you're looking at these things, especially when you have candy. Yeah. You know, look and make sure. And then they did a fantastic job responding. So, so that's that's good. And it's good that the kids are okay. But it's definitely a story that you don't expect. No, did not expect this one. So this is something I asked Beth about. I said, you know, you do candies for sometimes for Easter stuff or you do it for fall festival. You know, you, she's taking up candy. You know, people are just dumping bags of candy and everything. She's like, but these were like a lot different. This isn't like just a little box of nerds. This is a big package, right. big it's nerds a nerd rope. rope. And yeah. I asked her, I said, do you, do you ever check the labels to make sure that you don't have some kind of weird candy like this? And she's like, no, but we get packages of candy. We don't get loose candy as much as we get, like, you know, the big package of, of Reese's right. or stickers right. or whatever it may be. Um, Reese's and Snickers are not good examples because she doesn't accept those because those have peanut butter and peanut allergies and all that. So they come right. to our house sometimes. No, I'm kidding. I wish yeah. they came to our house. I don't know what she does. I think she takes them back and trades them out for stuff that's not peanut candy. So yes. um, I wish they came to our house, but they don't. Mm. Uh, so she she does some kind of that. But if churches, if you've got like a food pantry or you you're doing stuff for candy donations and stuff, this is something I've never thought about, but you got to be on the lookout for now. Right. It's definitely a new thing to yeah. look for, especially in, I mean, different states have different rules about this. And so if you're in a state where, you know, rules are even more lax, you really need to look out for it because it just may be in the supply chain more. Yeah. You know, it just may be out true. there. That's true. Yeah. Not as much a problem in Tennessee as it would be maybe in Colorado. One final story before we get to the history moment, Amy. We did have the Good Friday prayer service. We mentioned it on last week's episode. We had that last Friday at noon on Good Friday and just a phenomenal time. I know you joined in at the house. You sent me some pictures of you and Mary at the house with it on the big screen. And uh, it just an incredible time of prayer. And everybody who was involved in that, thank you so much for making that happen. If you didn't get a chance to join us in that, the video is online over at sbc.net slash pray. So you can check that out. All right, that's going to do it for the news this week. That brings us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. We're going to go to 1992 to an article in Baptist Press. So it's not an event that happened this week, but it's certainly a story that ran this week. And we heard about this a few weeks ago because Hillary Krantz on our team at the executive committee, she put this on our radar screen. This is pretty cool. So in the April 16th issue of uh, 1992 of Baptist Press, there was a story, and the headline is, Phoenix Pastor Connects with Sunday School Class. So this was a pastor uh, in in Phoenix at First Southern Baptist Church of Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Gary Young was the pastor, and um, he actually had been a former member of the executive committee, very involved mm-hmm. in the SBC. Yeah. Um, he was uh, going through cancer treatments at the time, had two rounds of chemotherapy uh, after being diagnosed with lymphoma, so he wasn't able to be at church. The sentence in there says, but thanks to modern technology, he can keep in touch with members of his church while getting the rest he needs. And it starts telling about a telephone Sunday school class that had been operating at First Southern Baptist Church of Phoenix since 1978. So here's how it would work. Every Sunday morning, a telephone operator would call each class member to stand by for a conference call. She would then call the class teacher 
They would take role. They would share prayer requests. And then the class teacher, Tom Moore was his name, would lead the lesson. And so the story was all about how now the the pastor of the church was getting to receive this blessing after all these years. Um, but the cool thing is about how it works, that it was different than, I mean, they had tape ministries and things like that going for a long time. But, you know, what he said is the great thing about it is that people talk back. Um, said that at the beginning, the cost to the church was about five or six dollars per week, I guess, to set up the conference call through the operator. Um, it had by 1992, it was about fifty five dollars per week, but they felt like it was worth it for the ministry to the people that aside from a few technical difficulties um, said that when the, t- the ministry began, one of the teachers had to teach from a phone booth. I wonder if that was outside the Best Buy. Oh, man. I'm not even going to explain that. I want to know if we get any any hits from our listeners who know what that means. Okay. Because I certainly know what that means. Sorry to interrupt. If you're, if you're a podcast fan, you should know that one. Yes. All right. Anyway, then it also said that, you know, the teacher would, they would visit class members during the week, deliver quarterlies to them. But this was kind of this way to connect with people who couldn't come in. So what's really cool about this is to realize that this thing had been going since 1978 at this church in Phoenix. And, you know, in the last several weeks, we've all been trying to figure out how to have interaction with our fellow church members from a distance. And look at this. So churches have been figuring out how to stay connected even over a distance because the reality is most of us feel shut in in our homes, but all of our churches have had shut-ins all this time. And look at all these creative ways to connect with them. So we've been talking a lot about Zoom calls, my Sunday school class, my faith group meets every Sunday after we uh, watch, participate in the live stream of worship. Then we meet by Zoom. Other small groups are meeting by Zoom. But, you know, we didn't start this just with this global pandemic. There were groups that were connecting from a distance. They were learning together. They were ministering. And they were talking about it this week in SBC history. Very cool. 15 years yeah. that was going on. It probably kept on going. We we really should have reached out to First Baptist a couple of weeks ago when we heard about this. And asked if the class was still yeah. going. And yeah. see what they're doing. I and mean, they were pioneering this. Yeah. You know, May another... Reach out to them. Yeah. Another cool thing about the whole Zoom, you know, small group is I have a friend in the neighborhood here who, uh, who goes... Uh, she's part of the summit. Christy Thornton. Her dad, William Thornton, um, they are both great friends of the pod. And uh, Christy Thornton and I were, we we sometimes will meet up and she'll stay like on one side of the road and I'll stay on the other side of the road so we can be at a distance as we walk. And she was telling me about her small group that they had missionaries on the field that had been in their small group that for the first time in a few years got to actually be a part of small group. That's cool. So, I mean, there's some silver linings in this that's happening. Mm-hmm. So That's neat. Yeah. I should use my connection and just have somebody else teach my small group every week. Get a bunch of people, well, a bunch of random people yeah. that I know. Use my Rolodex. Yes, you should. Rolodex, but yeah. yeah, I could get people from all over to teach my small group. It'd be great. I wouldn't have to teach. No, I'm kidding. I like teaching. It's fun. It's great. So Yes. All right. 
That'll bring us to our resources of the week. My resource of the week is an interview that I did with Dr. Russ Moore this past week. Yeah, uh, Dr. I Moore saw that. from the ERLC was kind enough to join us on our Baptist Press Facebook page. And I was able to talk to him for about 30 minutes. Had a great time. Some great questions and great uh, answers as well on a lot of different topics. Talked about religious freedom and some of the, uh, the as he called it, saber rattling by some yes. local mayors, as well as uh, the CARES Act and what that means for churches. Should churches take the CARES Act uh, small business loans or not? And we also talked about some immigration issues and detainees, uh, the, some of the issues with uh, holding them well, well within the recommended CDC guidelines uh, because they don't have six feet of space in a lot of the t- detainees areas down at the southern border. So uh, some yes. good conversation with him. And, and what I thought was probably the one of my favorite parts of the call, he was talking about his sons. His sons are grocery employees at, I guess, a local Kroger or Publix or something like that here in the Nashville area. And they are stock boys or we're in the cashier. And he's like, mm-hmm. I've never had to think about my son risking his life by going to work at the grocery store because of COVID-19, which I just like, wow, that really hit home with me because I've got a son about that age as well. Yep. Uh, Doesn't have a job yet, but he doesn't have his license yet. But I mean, same kind of thing. It just that, that really, I I was really, that one hit me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a very good interview, very thorough. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed listening to it. And so it's there where anyone can see it. Yep. So Over at the Facebook page at Baptist Press. So Facebook.com slash Baptist Press. Amy, your resource yes. of the week is? Mine is the Honor 6-2 Project. That is something that's being put on by uh, WMU, the Women's Missionary Union, and also um, Iron Stream Media. It is sort of uh, taken from Ephesians 6-2 where it says, Honor your father and mother. Thinking about the fact that so many of our loved ones that are senior adults are really having to shelter in place or they are in facilities, uh, medical facilities where, you know, they, people can't even really get to them or, or see them. So it's this opportunity to send a book box of hope to those who are quarantining during COVID-19. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a place boxes start at only $15. You could do a mini box with four to six titles. Um, it's just books, books on Christian living, Bible studies, Christian fiction, just things that can, um, can bless your friends and family members. You can do a small box with seven to 11 titles, medium boxes with 11 to 17 and large boxes with over 20. So it starts at $15. Um, really cool thing. Very easy to, um, to work through the the website, you just pick the size of the book and they'll they'll curate them. They will keep it going as long as their stock of available books last. Um, so I think that's just a really, really cool idea. Well, that's neat. Very cool of them to do that. Probably a lot of New Hope titles in there. I think Iron Stream is the uh, the, the group that, that got New Hope a couple of years ago. So where I used to work. So, uh, so I bet books. you would know some of those I titles. Bet there's some books that I worked on in those boxes. That's I bet cool. so. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought that was just a, when I heard about that this week, I was really just touched by that idea. I loved yeah. it because I'm a reader. So I would, you know, I, I would love a book box. And so the idea that you could bless these people, that even as we look at the reopen strategies, if you notice the vulnerable 
they're like they're way at the end of the phase before they can really get out. So even as we consider moves back, uh, a lot of our senior adults are not anywhere near being yeah. able to get out or to or even those in facilities being able to connect with people. So this is a great thing that yep. could last for a long time. Absolutely. So and if you want to send Amy a box of books, hit me up. I'll give you her address. There you go. So and she probably always, would too. I'll, I yeah. always will take books. All right. Well, Amy, that's another week for us here on the podcast. Thanks again for everybody who joined us this week, and uh, we hope you stay safe. Let us know how reopening in your state, if it's open or starts to open, goes. We, we'd love to, to connect with you out there and let us know uh, what your church is doing and how uh, maybe you know this reopening strategy will affect your church. So we appreciate you each and every week tuning in and listening to us here at SBC This Week. We'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>